I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, everyone. You have arrived at Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I am here with my dear friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. And we're going to be chatting all about analysis of fictional people. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn. Oh, and there's Adam, my friend, Dr. In. Adam Stern. I, I stepped all over your intro, Jordan. It was, a, it was a little unruly, but that's okay because we're talking about a show that is really wildly all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I, Adam might be all over the place because Adam just finished binging it like 10 seconds ago. Oh, we're, yeah. ta- <laughs> we're talking about the morning show. And Adam has an important caveat to bring to our discussion before we really get into things. Thank you for that uh, uh, setup. So (laughs) as I understand it, the morning show is based loosely, or at least it's sprung loosely from a book, I believe, by Brian Stelter from CNN about real morning, uh, a real cast of morning show uh, characters in real life. And uh, obviously on this show, Characters on the Couch, we focus only on fictional people. So we are going to do that. We're going to talk about these characters, no matter what resemblance they may have to real life people. That's not who we're trying to uh, dissect psychologically. So when we talk about Alex Levy and Bradley Jackson and Corey Ellison and Mitch Kessler, uh, those are the people that we're referring to and, and not whoever they may share certain features with out in the real world. Correct. We don't, We have enough of the real world outside of this podcast. Exactly. This podcast is a safe space. We really only talk about um, fictional things. So yeah. we talk about, no, I would say we talk about real issues within the real context of, from, fiction, exactly. of fictional things. Exactly. And that's what makes it fun for, at least for me and Adam, hopefully. For, for me, it's mostly well. chatting with you once a week. You know, it makes it really yeah. fun. But yeah. but yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. We so have a to, good time. To, Tell All us, right. So, uh, so the morning doing? show is a uh, two seasons at the moment. I think that they're coming out with a third, possibly mm-hmm. in fall of this year. Um, so we'll maybe return to some of these discussions at that point. But Apple TV actually, I believe, commissioned the two seasons. It was one of the first times that they mm-hmm. said that they committed to two seasons. In no part, in no small part no doubt, due to the star power of the leads. So you have Steve Carell as the morning co-host with Jennifer Aniston. Steve is, for purposes of this discussion, Mm -hmm. Mitch Kessler, and Mm -hmm. Jennifer Aniston is Alex Levy. Mm -hmm. And the two of them are the co-hosts of this beloved morning show that everyone in America starts their day with. And then at the very beginning, it is revealed that perhaps Mitch Kessler is not the person that everyone thought he was. 
So Specifically, we sort of like America's dad that you could sort of count on, the goofy, lovable guy that's going to be there for you. Right. And it turns out that he's actually having rampant non-consensual sex around the office. And and let's add rampant consensual, consensual, excuse me, I can't Mm -hmm. speak today, consensual sex Mm -hmm. with people around the office, which, um, you know, is arguably not the best thing to do in any workplace Mm -hmm. situation and very complicated. But he's also, basically, it is the Me Too era coming to, um, coming to, coalesced within this the context of this particular story. And so we open up with the revelation and with the network fumbling for what they're going to do about it, even though it's important to say here that the network, at ver- throughout the season we learned to what extent the network has been aware of and has enabled Mitch's behavior. Right, right. And so I, I have a sort of strange vantage point from from this, looking at this show's two-season arc so far, because I watched season one in real time when it came out, whatever it was, a few years ago. Oh, okay. And then I just binged season two, just like last I week. I did not realize. I thought you yeah. were binging the entire show, so no, I apologize. No. So, yeah. so when I watched season one, it felt very much like a show born out of the Me Too movement uh, yes. that, that had comments on the Me Too movement and was a was a really dramatic, interesting reflection of that era that we were all living through. And season two, it, there was a, a lot, like a lot of shows, it was sort of put on hiatus and there was a long, I believe there was sort of a long break for yes. everyone. And then especially for me, because I came late to it, that Regard, we watched in real time as they in, incorporated the backdrop of the pandemic. There's this dramatic irony. The audience knows what the pandemic is going to become by March, but right. most of season two takes place between like December and February of that. Right. We get to laugh uh, at yeah. lines like, you know, Mia saying, oh, 2019 was a terrible year. Yeah. And we're like, yeah. oh man, 2019. <laughs> that was good stuff back in 2019. Yeah. Right, exactly. So I'm sorry, you're you're you were making a point and I My point was just that and, and yet the, the Me Too elements of the show and the sexual harassment, the cultural, you know, corporate culture, uh not having the employees or anyone, you know's interest, any individual person's interest at heart, all of that continues as a through line even during the pandemic, even when other big stories happen. And so we get to watch these characters navigate this in a very intensely, I almost want to call it melodramatic way. The show takes real serious topics and puts these really talented actors in front of the camera and turns them, they're they're simultaneously captivating and really over the top dramatic sometimes. That was my that, that right. Was my it's sense. very it, it's very telenovela. So which which I enjoyed at different points and was irritated by at other points. But uh, mm. let's begin with let's diagnose and by let's I mean you. Let's diagnose Mitch Kessler. What's yeah. his deal? Yeah. So you know, and as always, we're we're talking spoilers. Uh, you've yes, seen up yes. until the end of season two. So so when I say that Mitch Kessler falls into a depressive spiral and sort of drives his car not not intentionally off of a cliff, you know. Wait, that. what? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 
man. Someone out there really had that reaction. And I know. I know. I'm sorry. Dang it. Sorry, Um, that person. Yeah. So, you know, Mitch Kessler, you know, was at the pinnacle of his popularity and success when the show begins, has a precipitous fall. A lot of season one is a clinging to something that is no longer there, right? So let's start Mm -hmm. there in terms of uh, the two-liner, as I like to do these days about our patients. Uh, The two-liner for Mitch Kessler is a very successful middle-aged man who has experienced a dramatic injury, narcissistic injury to his ego, to his influence. He's in a depressive spiral at the, for, for frankly, the months that follow. And this is largely him. He's coming into the office, potentially trying to come to terms with what responsibility he bears for his circumstances. And then frankly, how do you go forward from there? You know, so we can get to that in a little bit, but you know, that, that well, you go off a cliff is is where you go. But, um, (laughs) but I guess my, I want to, I want to ask you deferentially if we could even back up. In other Mm -hmm. words, if we could back up to what makes someone act in the way that he did, you know, where he, literally cannot take no for an answer, a good attribute in the context of a journalist asking questions, a really terrible criminal one when it comes to interpersonal relationships. You know, he is a rapist. Like, I want to lay that out. You know, I don't want there to be any ambiguity about Mm -hmm. that. You know, like, am I judging him? Yeah, I'm judging him. Mm -hmm. What brings you to that? Here, as you pointed out, he's this remarkably successful person. Mm -hmm. He's got this lovely wife and, mm-hmm. you know, the two lovely kids mm-hmm. and, um, you know, multiple homes, like what, why, what, what yeah. makes a person do that? And what, did you get any sense of yeah. his psychological scaffolding that would bring him to that point? My sense of this, and, and I, I say this not out of any formal training, I didn't read this in a textbook anywhere or anything like that, but my sense just from literally, you know, having the expertise I have merged with, like the observing, you know, not only pop culture, but political culture and, and uh, celebrity culture for, you know, almost 40 years is, is like that they're one and the same. They're tied together, I should say. So I bet when he was first coming up, they don't show, you know, uh, young Mitch Kessler. But my guess is that some of these traits existed in a, a much smaller degree. Maybe he tried to get away with certain really bad behaviors in a way that he wouldn't get caught. As people get more popular and they become more surrounded by yes people and they get more authority where they work, where they live, where they exist in the world, and they get showered with adulation and, and everyone adores them and tells them that that they're the most perfect, wonderful thing. I think that it is, especially, I mean, just by the numbers, especially in men, it comes out in ways that are just just awful in terms of sexual harassment, sexual power and dominance over over the women in their lives. Let me pause right. there and see what you think about that assessment. I guess my my question that leaps to mind is... <sighs> At what point do you look at a diagnosis of sex addiction? And can you talk a little bit about that? And because to me, as a lay person, 
You know, that's another one that gets thrown around very casually, yeah. like psychopath. But right. I don't I don't actually have a sense of what that means, what that diagnosis is right. and how you reach it. Yeah. So so you're getting at something very real that we see that's almost like you can see it from a thousand yards away, where someone gets into trouble, they've been caught in some manner, shape, or form, and then suddenly they announce that they are uh, a sex addict and are going to receive treatment, and it's almost it feels very much like a PR statement. You know, how do you differentiate that versus uh, a real diagnosis that that people have out in the world? Right. And my answer to that is, you know, of course viewing from the a distance it's very hard but when if you're in the circumstances you always look at any kind of addictive behaviors from the context of their impairment and their uh you know so the the impairment to the individual person and that includes their relationships and their functioning their quality of life their performance with their not only their jobs but within their family life home life etc so if Mitch Kessler was doing this for years, but thriving in every way, it's a tricky thing to know at what point you call it an addiction because it's not necessarily something that he's tried to stop and failed to stop, right? That's part of a key, that's that's a key component of any addictive sort of diagnosis is, is this person able to control the usage uh, or in this case, the behavior or is the behavior controlling the person, right? right? That's in one way, you know, and so I don't know the answer. I mean, I know the answer. I mean, I'm trying to think of how many women Mitch did not sleep with mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. that show. Right. That's the other, there is a component that a lot of people who identify as having uh, sex addiction, they will say, I don't eat, you know, they will, they will say that they don't even want to do the thing. They they yes. feel compelled. It's a compulsion. I see. Whereas he seemed to want it. He, he, right. he, he, he exactly. seemed to want it. And I, a, okay. The, but, the, but the other thing that I want to make sure to get to, because we have so much to get to, is mm. that what about he, I do not feel, ever reaches, maybe at the very end, I don't know, I'll let you speak to that, a point of contrition. He seems mm-hmm. to really just be pissed. Yeah. Just pissed. Yeah. And and that this is what this is a little teeny bit of what I'm getting at when I say like the season one felt like it really uh it, it was a product of the Me Too era when it was when Me Too was in on the front page of every newspaper every week. Mm-hmm. It was because because Mitch Kessler's character was so defiant in a way that certain character certain people in real life tried to fight it you know and say i'm not the bad guy I, what i did was fine can't believe yeah. you're talking about real life that's Only not okay in the generalities okay. right very general <laughs> for this you know. real life thing exists so so i think that they drew this character up to be like a, a villainous character yes and by season two they're trying to add a little bit of nuance, and they only partially succeed, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It, they, it really didn't work. And also, like, I don't know. You know, you're 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 devastated about your broken life, and mm-hmm. you're on like Como. I'm like, you know, something like, yeah. let, let's call it a day, because yeah. you're on like Como. Yeah. You're privy to like amazing gelato. 
Yeah. <laughs> like all the time. And pasta. This is, so, this is something the show, this is, will be, this could be a transition for us to Alex because yes, please. the show has in spades is like, well, these are all still very, very well, you know, these, these it's hard to feel bad for any of these people. A hundred percent because they are so off the charts privileged. Yeah. And I, I don't only mean economic privilege because let me skip ahead just a little and then I'm going to double mm-hmm. back. Bradley Jackson, right, clearly does not come from that kind of mm-hmm. background. So it's not something you're born with. But I'm saying it's something where you you just grow, but yet she grows to feel as though in the middle of a, in season two, in the middle of a pandemic, she can waltz into, you know, a crowded right. ER waiting room with right. no mask, by the way, because mm-hmm. well, even though she's been exposed to somebody who's definitely been exposed to COVID, she mm-hmm. goes and waltzes to the front of the line, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like someone like dinging the bell on the Titanic and being mm-hmm. like, I'm sorry, I never got my room service. Hello, mm-hmm. is anybody here? You know, and so everyone has this pervasive sense of entitlement and of superiority. Yeah. Yeah. And that the and I feel that really, actually, I think there's a little bit of sexism inherent in this, but we can talk about that or not as you see fit. I feel that no one exemplifies that sense of selfishness and self-righteousness more than Jennifer Aniston's character yeah. of Alex, Alex Levy. Yeah. Yeah. If we can get to the other, I would say, you know, there are a, a dozen sort of thematic things across the, the two seasons of the show, but probably, you know, one, one of them is is the, the dissolving of the Mitch and Alex relationship, but the other is the formation of the Bradley and Alex relationship, right? So Alex yes. has been, you know, a figure that is in everyone's you know, living room, morning show, you know, figure that's on billboards that everyone knows. Yeah, the kind of figure that everyone thinks that they know, you know, who they think, like everyone thinks they're your friend. Behind the scenes, we're seeing Alex Levy portrayed in a way that made me squirm, made me really uncomfortable, not in a diagnostic way. It's hard for me to pinpoint, like, I don't think I don't know enough about her, even after two seasons, to say she fits neatly into any diagnostic category of personality. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I think she's a varied character. She fluctuates a lot, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of how likable she is, which is not, you know, the be all and end all of anything. But for TV characters, it's a pretty important thing, right? Uh, is is she the the fact that when she goes on, she's playing a role? When she goes on TV, she's a certain right. version of herself. And then you see her in the dressing room and you see her bossing around her assistants and you see her demanding things and trying, but also self-preservation, right? She's someone oh. just like a lot of uh, people who work in media, when they get to a certain age, they start seeing the the vultures coming to take their position, right? And so mixing all kinds of metaphors there. No, I'm fine with it. I'm okay she, with it. No, but you're absolutely right. Right. That Correct. She's lose and she, her, her job. And we know from the very beginning how acutely aware she is that she's in a Game of Thrones kind of scenario. Yeah. And that there's all this political maneuvering to be done. I mean, starting with her pretty brilliant move of at the awards dinner at the very beginning, right? When she sees that 
she's being considered to be ousted when she makes the public spontaneous mm-hmm. announcement, unbeknownst to anyone else, that the relatively unknown new viral sensation Bradley Jackson, plays, played by Reese Witherspoon, who I always have felt a weird kinship with, even though obviously our paths in real life have never crossed. I don't mm-hmm. know why. I feel like I feel like Reese and I would get along. But um, she announces that... Bradley Jackson is going to be her new co-anchor on the morning show. And she does that sort of throwing down the gauntlet. So from that gesture, or even before, from her response to Mitch, it really does. So tell tell me what you do, Garner, about her. I mean, even if you can't give her your usual two line synopsis, tell me what, what you think about the problems that she's contending with. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. She's contending with a loss of agency in her own path, right? So she feels like no matter what she, she you know, she wasn't uh, responsible for Mitch Kessler's behaviors, but she is on the receiving end of like having to deal with the 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 outcomes. The right, but that's know, the, not the really true, though. We're gonna we're gonna jump in here and say like she, Alex she was complicit, and she yeah. and she did facilitate enabling Mitch. Yeah, yeah. So there are the show makes. Does this is another theme within the show? Is it, it? It sort of asks the audience to ponder this question of like how, how, how is there in, in culture, corporate cultures like this, or any cultures, the diffusion of responsibility that occurs, yes. right? Yes. So who is ultimately responsible? It's not one person; it's an entire culture. The one person bears a lot of it. Right. But but there's an entire, you know, culture of uh looking the other way, of engaging in and, you know, covering things up. And so when she I just want to circle back briefly to when she spontaneously and without the approval of the board or anybody else appoints Bradley Jackson, Reese Witherspoon to be her co-anchor. What she's doing is essentially retaking the agency that she has lost over time by putting them in the impossible position of they can't possibly walk that back. And and by doing that, she also thinks, well, Bradley Jackson is brand new. She's young. I can dominate this this woman. I can make this woman my sort of co-pilot as opposed, and I can be the pilot, you know. Um, That's what I think. That's what I think. And really, I think that that move to me was the initial signal that really Alex Levy and Mitch Kessler are not that different. From one mm-hmm. another, yeah, they're uh, yeah. Of everyone on the show, I feel like they are most 
bonded by how they're, you know, and they did. They came up through the ranks together. They made it together as celebrities. They became this, I mean, I think they explicitly refer to them, you know, as like, they're sort of like the mom and dad of like America, you know, in this right. show before, you know, uh, the fallout. And so they're tied. You know, she tries in various ways to separate herself. She tries to write a book in season two, a memoir without talking about Mitch, you know, and it's like, and the, right. the editor's like, we're not, we can't do this. They want to read about Mitch, your relationship with Mitch. That's what, that's what people are going to buy the book for, you know? So <laughs> right. it was a sort of poignant thing of like, sometimes we don't get to choose the people we're associated with, even when we don't want to, you know? When, but I sense when, that you're moving away from her culpability because I feel mm-hmm. that in literally every episode, there's something that she does mm-hmm. that makes me think, what is wrong with you? Whether yeah. it's <laughs> like getting off, uh, you know, she gets off a plane <laughs> and I think I saw this written about also, you know, in season two, she gets off the plane from Italy. Mitch has died. She's very acutely aware that she's been in yeah. the hot spot of a pandemic. Yeah. She comes off the plane and she's in an enclosed car uh-huh. Right. And I realize uh-huh. that some of this is through the benefit of hindsight, but I'm yeah. like, really? You're not going to crack mm-hmm. the window? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like, you know, or you go into the office and, you know, it doesn't occur to you like, wow, I was just in a pandemic hotbed. Yeah. Maybe I should wear a mask. Like, yeah. you know, and yeah. I don't want to tread on any whatever. Like, I don't want to get into mask related issues. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is that literally every single thing in every episode, it is very clear that Alex is not only the protagonist of her own life, but really the only character in her own life. And, mm-hmm. you know, Chip is really just there kind of as like a henchman mm-hmm. you know, to her. He does, Even though he deeply cares for her, you know, to the point where there's a thin line between love yeah. and hate. Right. She she really just sort of sees him as the facilitator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she sees everybody that way. Everybody. Right. Or a threat. Right. You're either a facilitator or you're a right. threat. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's why earlier I said she doesn't fit neatly into I'm thinking in terms of like formal diagnostic categories. And you know, there are there are acute diagnoses that we think about, but with her, because it seems to span her entire, you know, the time that we've known her, it's more, I'm more thinking about like the clusters of personality disorders that, that sometimes patients can be, uh, mm-hmm. can do that people, not even patients, people deal with, but she doesn't fit. Patients are right? people, she, Adam. <laughs> pe- right. All pay. That's what I'm, that's sort of what yes. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just highlighting that for our audience. Patients are Thank people. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. you got it. I'm I'm there for you. And so like she you know when I think about well is she technically narcissistic? Well no, probably not. Is she technically sociopathic and psychopathic? Probably not. Is she technically dependent? No, I don't think so. Is she, you know, so I'm running down the list and it's like she maybe has maybe she's just mean. <laughs> maybe there are, like, right? There right? Are you can like just that. be mean. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can be a high functioning person Mm -hmm. as she is, right? She's extraordinarily competent. I mean, Mm -hmm. really never, never was there any question of her ability to do the work, her drive, right? Any of that. She's just like not a nice person. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, but again, you wonder, same as I was uh, wondering about Mitch, how was she when she was in Bradley's position, when she was just starting to make it, you know, like, was she that same way? And we get a little bit of insight into this, into her, into her relationship with uh, Juliana Margulies' character, Laura, and how they were different when they, or at least they were cutthroat and, you know, like going, uh, you know, trying to sort of one-up each other years ago, when, you know, years ago. And they've had this rivalry, this silent rivalry for years since then. And, you know, I don't know. I think that she... It's hard for us to answer, has she always been this way and that's why she's made it to where she is? Or it's a chicken and egg thing in terms of that's maybe- That's what I was just about to say, yeah. Maybe, this, maybe the success and the adulation sort of is a recipe for certain right. qualities. So, but let's then, let's then, that's a very good segue into Bradley, right? Because mm. Bradley's at the beginning- comparatively, of her career. Mm-hmm. Yet she still, do you have a diagnosis for her? Because we do, mm-hmm. I would say out of all the characters, we see the most of Bradley's past and of what has formed Bradley, in part because it was more recent, but in part just because they've chosen on the show to make her upbringing part of the story. Right, right. Will, will you just uh, briefly elaborate on that? For Sure. So she grew up in what you can say is... I don't, I'm, I'm very reluctant to say anything that can be construed as in any way pejorative, but she definitely had an wrong side of the tracks kind of upbringing. Mm-hmm. She was raised with a brother who is struggling right. with diagnosed Actively. mental health issues. Yes. Mm-hmm. And a mother who seems to be at the ver at the minimal amount emotionally and verbally abusive. Right. And she grows up in, if not in poverty, certainly perilously close to it and in a community that is not affluent yeah. in the least. Yeah. And she, you know, sort of epitomizes the hard scrabble, you know, person as she divulges at the beginning of her tenure on the morning show publicly and on the air that she got an abortion when she was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. She has been struggling in almost every area of her life. And then suddenly she's catapulted onto the national stage. How's that for synopsis? It's a great synopsis, but the challenge that I find in thinking about her, it's like every character on the show, is that the surroundings and the circumstances, the behaviors, you can say, oh, there that that's where the drama comes from, that's where the tension comes from, that's where the sadness, despair, etc. But for her, it's like her background and her family and dynamics that are such a source, right, of distress. And how does it come out? How does she react to it or adapt to it? Well, she seizes opportunities, right? So she initially sort of like went viral by losing her temper and yelling the truth at somebody, right? In probably right. episode one. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, there are various points along the way where a similar kind of thing happens where she just sort of flies off the handle about something in, in what she considers the just way, you know, like the, the right way. You know, she's, uh, she, she, she's almost a, you know, a devout person towards the truth, like getting the truth out there. She, and you want that in a news person, but she's sort of boxed into this morning show role where they're literally making her sing and dance and the, and you know, the start of season two. (laughs) 
Right. And doing the New Year's Eve special, which is all very like a night where we all put on a mask like, hey, next year is going to be totally different. Yeah, let's celebrate right. that. I, I mean, uh, they weren't wrong. It was different. Um, <laughs> but 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 you're right. I mean, these are roles that she's being put in that hinge on patter and superficiality. Yeah. As opposed to, but yet she discredits in a way herself by these spontaneous truth bombs, if you will, Mm -hmm. that she lobs, which really undercut her ability to be considered as, you know, I don't know, a Walter Walter Cronkite, Dan Rather kind of figure. Right. There are people who don't want to work with her at some point because she there's at least one person who says no to a job because it would involve working right alongside her. She's she's sort of hard to, uh, you know, you can't count on the fact that she's not going to blow something up at any at any given moment in the show, you know. Right. Uh, which, so, Cor- so- which Corey finds exciting, I think. But I think that for yeah. the most part, people find. Right. All the all the old, <laughs> destabilizing, you know. The, the the old members of the board have this view of, you know, like the network and where the show is and what it should be. And then Corey, Billy Crudup's character, comes in and is like, I'm going to shake things up. I'm going to, it's going to be streaming. The streaming service is Corey Ellison. Corey Ellison is the future. Bradley Jackson is, I found Bradley Jackson and she, you know, she saved my job and I am, you know, back and forth. And Corey's character is kind of wild in all kinds of ways too. But also, you know, he has, he has like a, um, he's like a hyperthymic personality, which is is a word I, that's I, I either I just made it up or it's a word that I use so <laughs> infrequently in my professional life. So when we say thymic in, in psychiatry, we mean basically like the level of your mood. So if you're dysthymic all the time, that's like someone who's depressed, but all the time, right? If mm-hmm. you are euthymic, E-U, uh, thymic, yeah, yeah. that means you're where you're happy. meant to be. That's no, actually, it's sort of like uh, happy and sad. It's the middle. Right. Oh, okay. It's the full breadth of our human experience. Euthymia, right? Okay. That's where we want to be. Right. Hyperthymic. It, I, I'm I'm fairly sure that's the right term, but I uh, again I'd have to look it up. It was probably used more thirty or forty years ago than it is today. Hyperthymic is like someone who might have, share some certain qualities with like uh, mania, hypomania, where you're elated, you're high energy, you're high octane, you're firing it all on all cylinders at all times. But to sometimes that's very helpful, and sometimes that can fall apart and cause mm-hmm. harm, right? For sure. So, so that's when I look at Corey Ellison, that's what I see as someone who's just like he he sort of sees himself and his vision as the future, and he's going to make it happen. And it's very hard to stop him or slow him down. And it remains to be seen to me as I watch the show. I'm like, are any of these people? right or any of them wrong or is it just everyone exists somewhere in the middle right between Well I would say the only person who I would say unequivocally was right was Hannah Mm, Yeah talk Um, about that if you don't mind Yeah so Hannah was the young producer who really was enterprising kind Mm-hmm. And thoughtful, extremely mindful of the decisions and choices that she was making professionally, and was sexually assaulted by Mitch mm-hmm. and was given a better job to cover it up in exchange for not speaking about mm-hmm. the assault. 
Mm-hmm. And when this is eventually elicited, if I'm remembered correctly, and please correct me if I'm not, when this is elicited and going to be the subject of, you know, one of these truth bomb exposés on the network, mm-hmm. she overdoses and mm-hmm. and kills herself. Yeah, dies by suicide. And, and, and that represents on the show, it's the ultimate, I mean, and, and in real life, it is an ultimate consequence of bad behavior from other people, you know, in the, in the show in particular, it is framed as, you know, like uh, there's a line you can draw directly from Mitch's behavior to what happened. Right. And the culpability we've talked, we've already covered this to some extent, the culpability of the corporate culture and all the people who knew and were willing to look the other way or cover it up actively. And it even continues after the fact in throughout season two, the, Mm -hmm. the reverberations of, of that act and that sadness. Right. Go on, and you know, really only, only Claire, who we haven't touched on really at all, who is a like young up and comer, and then after, after Hannah dies, she leaves because she can no longer stomach it. But yet, she also is helping to finance a lawsuit because she believes that justice hasn't been done. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that that that's uh, tangential. But my point being that. The one character who was the clarion voice for mm-hmm. morality and decency is no more and right. and and cannot live in this world where no one else seems to have a moral compass with right. that has a reliable north right and yeah i I think that that's uh, at one point, Adam, I think we're gonna have to have an episode. And I'm just saying this right now, so I, I don't want to put you on the spot. You might disagree, but like about what it says about us as viewers that we are really drawn to these shows where people are really bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I you love know, that like, idea. right. I mean, because it's so much, you know, like, I want, don't get me wrong, I really want to be a good person and I want good people in my life, but I'm not sure I want to watch a show about them. <laughs> That's right. I mean, one of the one of the early premises or at least conversation topics that you and I had was like, well, it, you know, if, if some of these characters had been in like a really good therapy early on, yes. the show wouldn't exist, right? And it's Correct. it's true because like so many of the characters we discuss on characters on the couch, it's the pathos that that draws the viewer in. It's the sad stuff. It's the yes. complex, why are they doing this? It's bad for them. We know it's bad for them. They know it's bad for them, but it's compelling to watch. Why? What draws us in, you know? Yeah. So, so it does, so I you're guess right. I, it comes I, up all the time. But I guess that brings us to, you know, a logical point of conclusion, which is, I mean, this is a veritable variety pack of, yeah. of people and issues. So I would ask you in conclusion, who out of the characters on the morning show do you think would benefit most from therapy and what would be the course of that therapy? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd love for the opportunity. I'm in my professional life. I, and I'll disclose a little bit more about myself than I usually do. I, I work in particular using techniques for patients with treatment resistant depression, treatment refractory depression Mm -hmm. that, you know, is having trouble responding to the medications, or I should say the medications are failing the patients, the therapy isn't working enough. 
and and uh, that's the population that I see clinically most often in my in my real work. And I feel, you know, and and in psychiatry, we don't choose the patients that come to us; they right. come to us, right? So I feel as though there was. I feel as though I can see a path where uh, Mitch Kessler actually could engage in a treatment and not die by suicide, by quasi likely suicide. And, you know, it's for me, I know that's, he, he's not, he's of all these characters we've talked about, he's one of the most reprehensible from, mm-hmm. from his moral standpoint. But right. again, as psychiatrists, we sort of put that at, at, you know, as physicians, you know, it's true of an ER physician or any other physician, you treat the patient who comes in the door. Right. right. And so even though right now in this podcast, I'm in the, in the, in the position to choose the patient, he's someone where I see there's an opportunity versus, you know, the Alex's, the Corey's and the Bradley's where, you know, they're, their personalities are so much of a source and their history and their positions are so tied in with, with the things that get them into and out of trouble and back into trouble. Mitch, the troubles happened, you know, the bad things, the very terrible things have already happened. That's the point. I want to work with him in this fictional world. And, you know, the, the focus would be, okay, this thing that you had, that, that you lost because of your own behaviors, mm-hmm. that occurred. That's where we are. That's, you know, you had the past. Uh, on what, ideally also, I think that you should treat him on like Como. <laughs> <laughs> so, but go on. Yes. The, it yeah, it already happened. It's in, in the past. The, exactly. Now the and two of you are sipping are limoncello on the bank of Lake Como. What's feeding. not defined is the future, is your future, right? Yes. And so the 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 work would be about finding a path where he could exist in a better way than he had, you know, to and not make right. amends because he'll never be able to do that, but to exist in a way that where he where he contributes more good to the world than bad, and he's able to have feel content in, in the good things without the guilt entirely weighing him down to the point of suicide. That's what I would say. It's a tough one, okay. though. It's it's sh- the answer. whole show is a tough one, you know, for me. It is. It, it's so dramatic. The characters are so well played by these actors. And it is so on point with our society in, in these last several years that it's a very compelling show. But it's hard to work with on the couch. And there we leave them to, to their own to their own issues, where they'll be back in season three and uh, entertain us more with their foibles, mistakes, and amorality. <laughs> That's right. Good All right, stuff. Jordana. As always, good stuff and pleasure to talk with you. I'll see okay, you next cool. time. Same. See you next time. Bye. Please be advised that Characters on the Couch is a show focused only on fictional people, and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.